going to read a passage in Acts chapter 4, verses 13 through 21, where we see the radical obedience of Peter and John. As I was preparing, the Lord laid on my heart to just do a little bit of research, because there are, there are stories every single day of radical obedience. There are stories in this congregation of people who have made decisions to pursue God's call, not knowing what the cost was going to be and not knowing what was around the corner. Those testimonies are around us every single day. I read one that I wanted to share with you. Before moving to Afghanistan in 2003, Hanalai and her husband, Warner, had discussed the possibilities of dying in a war-torn country. They considered the dangers of raising their two children, Jean Perret and Rode, five, then five and three, in a region dominated by the Taliban, knowing that their lives would be drastically different from those that they had known in South Africa. Yet God's call was just as real as the dangers they would face, and they knew that obedience to him mattered more than all of their fears. God had led them to make some journeys to Pakistan and Afghanistan, and after just a, a couple years, the Lord moved them to make their home in Kabul, in Afghanistan. They ministered there for years. Hanalei was a doctor who ran a clinic. Her husband was a teacher. Until November the 29th of 2014, Hanalei was headed home through the traffic when her driver received a phone call that she could tell from his expression and the way that he was talking that something was terribly wrong. Finally, he told her that there had been an attack on the building where their family lived and worked. They approached her street, and police and armored vehicles blocked the way, forcing her to get out and walk the rest of the way to her house. A crowd had gathered outside the building, but no one would let her go inside or tell her what was going on. A terrible silence hung in the air, and nothing seemed to move. The unusual noise of the traffic, the horns, and the barking dogs were strangely absent. As darkness approached, she noticed that no lights were on in their top floor apartment. She worried and she prayed while they awaited news of her family. At 5.45 p.m., the silence was shattered by a sound of gunfire followed by a large explosion. Onlookers in the street scattered for cover. I believe that it was then when one of the three attackers detonated himself in the hallway of the building. I started to cry. Concerned police escorted me away to a neighbor's house at the corner of the street, two houses down from their own. That day, her two teenage children and her husband died in a terrorist attack that was particularly aimed at them. Now, their time wasn't wasted. I spent over 10 years serving the Lord in obedience. Yeah, we would say they made a radical decision. But it wasn't an irrational decision. They sought the Lord for months and over a year before they made the decision to move their family to that place to serve the Lord. There were lives that were forever changed for eternity because of their faithful service to the Lord. We would say it's unfair. Their lives were cut short. The world lost a wonderful Christian doctor, a wonderful Christian couple, Two teenagers who had a life ahead of them. But I believe that God would say that their life lasted exactly as long as it was supposed to. 
because they were radically obedient to serve him. Read with me. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Right after the movement of the Holy Spirit in the church and the beginning of the book of Acts, the church began to explode. And we've looked at part of this story already. Peter and John had, uh, on, at the beginning of Acts chapter 3, were going up to the temple to pray because it was time to pray. As they went up to pray, the Lord used them to heal a man. After they healed a man, a crowd gathered around them. They began to proclaim boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ. As they proclaimed that truth, as they proclaimed the gospel, the authorities were threatened and arrested Peter and John and put them in prison. And then, then the, the next day brought them out to talk to them. We come to the place of the story in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It says, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, what should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. But so that it does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in his name again. So they called for them and ordered them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop preaching about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. Now, before we move any further, I want you to put in context exactly who this is that is standing so boldly before the Sanhedrin. This is Peter. He's the one who spoke up. This is the same Peter who, who only a few weeks before denied even knowing Jesus before a servant girl when Jesus was on trial. Peter, who was afraid. Peter, who, who had to go out and weep because he had denied Jesus three times. Peter, who had been restored by Christ after Peter saw the resurrected Jesus. And Peter, who had been filled with the Holy Spirit on Pentecost and stood and preached boldly. Peter was radically changed, not because Peter went to seminary, or because Peter had been to Bible school, or even because Peter had been able to make it all the way through experiencing God, or uh, a faith study. Peter was radically changed because he had been filled with the Holy Spirit and he'd been with Jesus. And so I want us to look at some characteristics of what's going on here. What are some, what are some results? What happens when we decide that we're going to be obedient to Jesus? When we make that choice that regardless of what he calls us to do, we're going to say yes. If he calls us to go, we're going to go. If he calls us to stay, we're going to stay. If he calls us to pray, we're going to pray. What are the results of, of, of being radically obedient to Christ? First result that we see here in this text, there in the first verse, is when they observe the boldness of Peter and John. The first thing that happens when we decide, when we make that choice that we're going to obey Jesus we radically, boldly proclaim the gospel. 
And that's what you see already happening. From the moment that the Spirit was poured out on Peter, he boldly proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is, he is not boldly proclaiming, hey, listen, you guys, you just need to come down to the church. We had 4,000 people baptized in the last couple weeks. They just kept talking about Jesus over and over and over and over. They, they radically obeyed, even under the, the threat of their life. They were not, I want you to see this. They observed that the, the boldness of Peter and John, and they realized that they were uneducated and untrained men. You mean these great leaders of the church, these great founders of the church, these great proclaimers of the gospel, they hadn't gone to seminary? No, they were fishermen. In fact, you don't have to read very far in scripture to figure out that they were pretty rough around the edges. They were fishermen. There was no qualification for them to to be leaders. It it wasn't dependent upon what the world would think. And in fact, uh, you get the impact that the Sanhedrin, who were educated men, most of these guys probably had had memorized Scripture. They'd memorized the Old Testament, at least large swaths of it. They might have memorized all of it. They were well-educated. And yet, they looked at Peter and John, and they saw that, Man, these guys are untrained and they're uneducated. But look what God's doing through them. You know, that, that gives every single one of us courage and hope. You don't have to be seminary trained to be greatly used of God to accomplish his purposes. You just have to make a decision that I'm going to be radically obedient. I'm going to do what God's called me to do. And God can use me. Let me, I want to add something here that wasn't in my notes. I got the opportunity this last week to spend a little bit of time with, with some friends down in May. And one of the families that we met with struggling a little bit with various things. And, you know, he's coming to the time of retirement and things have kind of gone sideways in his business. And he's struggling with a little bit. And I asked him about how he's doing. And he's doing pretty well in his walk with the Lord. But the Lord put something on my heart that, that I want to share with him and, and uh, I'm going to get it to him in the next couple of days. But it was a reminder of Caleb. I remember the story of Caleb after they'd come into the promised land. And they'd come into the promised land. And Caleb, who was, he was one of the good spies, right? And so he was 40 years old when he was one of the good spies. And, and, and he gave a good report. And then, of course, all the rest of the congregation, except for Joshua, gave a negative report. So they spent 45 years or 40 years in the desert. Caleb spent 40 years out there in the desert. And it wasn't even his fault. And so eventually they get to come into the promised land and they spend a few years taking over uh, the cities. And then, but the, the land that God had promised Caleb in particular had not been defeated. It was the land where there were three large cities filled with giants, the descendants of Goliath. And so Caleb comes to Joshua and he said, you know what? I know I'm 85 years old and I know that it doesn't make sense, but God's promises never fail. So let me go and God will give me the land of the giants. You know what that reminded me was, was regardless of what else has happened in our life, no matter how many good things, bad things, no matter how young, how old we are, if we'll just be obedient to God, God will keep his promises. Because God's faithful. Caleb wanted to be obedient to God 45 years earlier. And he really was. But his, his life got derailed for 45 years, not because of his sin, but because of somebody else's sin. 
And so they come back to the point where he has opportunity. He's done everything that he was supposed to do to fulfill his obligation to the rest of Israel. And he said, I still want to obey God. Anybody could look at that and say, Caleb, you're too old, dude. <laughs> you're 85. Your, your glory days of fighting these wars has passed. And Caleb knew that. But God's days weren't. And God kept his promise and gave Caleb the land that he'd promised him he'd give him. It doesn't matter how old you are. Maybe you would say, Pastor, I, you know, I've missed the boat. There were times where God called me to do something, and I was disobedient, and my life has run off the rails, and, and, and you know, there's no way I can get back to that point. You know what? You may not be able to get back to that exact point, but if you'll be obedient to God today, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what your training is. It doesn't matter what your education is. If you'll be obedient to God today, God has a purpose for you, and he wants to use you to fulfill that purpose. And then you see in, in this same text that, that what is it that made the difference? What is it that, that caused them to, to have this spirit within them that allowed them to be radically obedient to Christ and, and to move forward? They had been with Jesus. Folks, bottom line, that's the key. They were recognized for their boldness. They were recognized for their, 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 their proclamation. They were boldly, greatly used of God. Why? Because they were good fishermen? Nope. Because they were well-educated? Nope. Because they'd been with Jesus. You know, first part just makes sense. You can't be radically obedient to Christ if you don't know what he's telling you to do. And you'll never know what he's calling you to do if you don't spend time with him. If you don't spend time in his word, rooted in his word. So some of you, and, and, and you know, over the years, I, I've seen people go through this process where they'd say something like this. You know, pastor, I hear you talking about hearing God's leadership and God giving you direction and God speaking to you. But I've never really had God speak to me like that. One of the challenges that I just lay before him. Are you spending time in God's word and are you walking with him? If you'll spend time in his word and you'll walk with him, God will lead you. You cannot expect to be greatly used as a disciple of Jesus Christ if you're not walking with Jesus. But when you are walking with him, you are with him. You'll find all the benefits of that. You'll find the peace and the joy that comes. It passes all understanding. You'll find him transforming your life, but you'll also find him calling to you and using you. Radical obedience to Christ always results in bold proclamation of the gospel. Second, it also is threatening to those around us who don't understand. It's threatening to those who are in sin. We live in a world today where this has become more and more obvious over the years. It's not new to our culture it's been found in cultures throughout history. People that will mock God, people that will burn Christians at the stake. I mean, we're not at that point in the United States right now. I haven't seen anybody literally uh, chained up, tied with concrete blocks around them, and thrown into the river simply because they baptized someone or because they were baptized. That happened, folks. And it's real. It does happen in our world today. There are people who are brutally martyred simply because of their faithfulness to obey Christ. And the truth is, though, even in our culture, 
the more that you seek to be faithful to Christ and walk in holiness, the greater threat you are to the enemy. And there are people who will not like you. You'll lose friends who you thought were good friends. You may lose family members who you thought cared deeply about you. Why? Because those who walk in rebellion to God feel threatened by those who walk in obedience. Even if they, this is what's funny to me, there's people who don't even believe in God, who they'll say there is no God, and yet they feel threatened by those who walk in obedience to God because they're in rebellion to God. Your spirit, the spirit that's in you won't line up with the spirit that's in them, and they won't like it. And you see that here. Now, the Sanhedrin in particular, uh, they, were th they, they felt threatened in their finances. They felt threatened in their business. Here, these, these men were proclaiming that Jesus was the Messiah whom they had put to death. And, and because uh, they were fully invested in, in maintaining the, uh, the structure and the culture and the business of Judaism, they were threatened by those who were being converted to become Christ followers. Now, I'm careful with that because in, in that day, especially in the early church, those people still considered themselves Jews. They were just real Jews because they were following the real Messiah who had come. They were following Jesus. He was the fulfillment of what they saw in their Bible. He was the fulfillment of, of God's promise. He was the one who had come to fulfill the promise of God. He was their Messiah. And so they were, they were simply Jews who were the true Jews. They were following Christ. But those who were Jewish that denied Jesus and saw him as a threat were threatened by that. And there's no... No difference today. People who, who are disobedient and in rebellion to God, who like their sin, will be threatened by those who are obedient to God, who proclaim the gospel. This is especially true when we as followers of Jesus Christ preach that there must be repentance from sin in order to follow Christ and have eternal life. And why that's so important, and, and Kevin did an incredible job last week of dealing with this issue. We actually live in a time where many, many churches are very careful about calling people out of their sin. In fact, they're very careful about even calling sin, sin. We'll call sin a choice, a decision, an alternate lifestyle, but we don't want to call it sin. If we simply read God's word and say, you know what, what you've chosen to do is not just an, a choice, you, you can't just choose to leave your wife and kids because it feels better to go be with this other woman or this other man. You just, you, that's not just a choice, that's sin. It's called adultery in scripture. 
You're, you're breaking the, the bonds of your promise, the commitment that you made to God and that you made to your wife and that you made to your, your family and friends. You're, you, you, you've sinned. You can be restored to God. God loves you. God loves you in your sin. Just like we studied in our growth groups this morning with Jose and Goma, God will pursue you into your sin, but he will call you out of your sin. And he won't let you stay there and just call your sin another lifestyle. And, and that's the issue that, that we have. But what, where we are in our world is we can't even say, you know what, God loves you. Even though you've turned against him and you've sinned, God loves you and God wants to restore you to what's right and what's good. And, and to bring you back to him and to bring you back to, 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 to righteousness. Because we can't even say that that is sin. There, the, the world that, that has de, uh, decided to live in rebellion to God in their sin does not want to be told that where they're living is sin. See, God can deal with your sin. And God can deal with my sin. God, God can forgive. We, we read in Hebrews a couple times, not only does God forgive our sin, but he forgets our sin, which is absolutely amazing and incredible. And I don't understand how, how an all-knowing God can forget sin, but Scripture says he does, so I accept that. God can forgive your sin and my sin. But God can't deal with a person who has abject rebellion against him and won't confess, won't say that sin is sin. And because of that, if I want to live in my sin, and I don't want to give it up, anybody that tells me that what I'm doing is wrong is threatening to me. Their radical obedience to Jesus was a threat to their culture. Your radical obedience to Jesus and commitment to his word will be a threat to your culture. You'll be a threat to those who are in rebellion. And it may be people that would say they don't even believe in God. It's weird to me that they would be upset that a God calls their lifestyle sin if they don't even believe there is a God. So who, you know, if I don't believe there is a God, who cares what he says about my message? But if you say this sin, they're threatened by it. But often... Even Christians get upset and are threatened when you call their sin, sin. We don't like to be called out on it, do we? But your radical obedience will be just like Peter and John. It'll be a threat to those who are walking in disobedience. Third here, radical obedience makes a decision. You see it in verse 19, to please God rather than please men. Peter and John answered them and says, whether it is right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. I love how they put this back on the, these guys are the religious leaders of their time. Everything they do is to keep the law and keep the rules and to please God, supposedly. And so they just simply look at them and say, look, if you're given the choice to please God or please men, what are you going to do? Well, they don't know how to answer that. Peter and John say, we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. We will continue to bear witness to the truth of what we've seen and what we've heard, regardless of what you tell us, regardless of your threats, regardless of whether you're going to put us in prison, and regardless of whether you're going to kill us. God has called us to go. Jesus told us to go, 
make disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He filled us with his spirit, and so we're going to go. We saw him resurrected. We saw him ascend to glory. We know that he's the Lord, and we can't stop talking about what we have seen and what we've heard. And you just you can sit back in your, your chairs if you want to with all of your religious pomp and, and you decide, do you think it's smart for us to disobey God or to obey God or to obey men? Well, they don't know what to say about that, so they let them go. But, of course, they threaten them and say, well, don't go out there and talk. You can go preach, but just don't preach in Jesus' name anymore. You can heal people if you want to heal people, but just don't heal people in Jesus' name anymore. Well, you know, we're... Peter and John are headed with that. They go right back to the church. They tell the church what the threat is. The church prays, praises, and worships God. They recognize the threat that has come from, from the, the human authorities, and they say, God, give us boldness to preach louder. God, give us courage to preach louder. Ultimately, your radical obedience to, to Christ has to be just that, a decision that you're going to seek to please God and not please men. There will be times that God calls you to do things in your life that your family may not understand, that your friends may not understand. I, I can't even imagine what uh, the family that I, that I read the story earlier to you of, of Hannah Lye and Warner, what their parents must have been thinking when they come, came home and told mom and dad, you know what, God's called us to go to Afghanistan in 2004 three years after September 11 attacks here. I can't imagine what their mom and dad thought, what they told them. But ultimately, there comes times in your life when God speaks so clearly that your only choice is to be obedient or to be disobedient. You may not understand how it's going to work out. You might not understand how you can afford it. But you have one choice. You're going to be obedient or disobedient. I laugh about this when I looked at this uh, in context of where, we, where I am and some of the personal decisions that I've, I've made in my life that God's called me to. I laughed about it uh, in, in light of us as a church. Last January when, when the, the committee sat up here on the stage and said, God's called us to, to do this remodel. And, and I remember the church asking, you know, some, some of you all from the church asking the question, well, how are we going to pay for it? And they said, we don't know. And the church said, we don't know either, but we believe God's called us to it. So what do we do? We either trust him, we put it out there and trust him and we're obedient, or we know that we know that we know that we're walking in disobedience. Now, I, I've not always gotten that right. There's been times when I was disobedient. And, and you know, I've, I've been here long enough, I can look out among this congregation and I'm not the only one. <laughs> There's a few of you who I love dearly who are friends that... I know there's been times that you've been disobedient. I don't know if that's ever worked out well. That's never worked out well for us. So ultimately, when we know what God's called us to, our choice is obedience. And when we're obedient to the Lord and not to man, there's one more thing that happens. He gets the glory for it. It doesn't it didn't bring glory and honor to us. In fact... Sometimes we end up looking like fools. A lot of people, in fact, the world would say that, that Henelai and Warner look like fools for going into a war-torn place with their children. Many in the church would say that they were foolish. 
I don't believe that that is the verdict that God would give to that family. But even their sacrifice brings glory to God. Look with me at the last verses here. After threatening them further, verse 21, they released them. But they found no way to punish them because the people were all given glory to God over what had been done. When we are faithful and obedient to serve the Lord, it will bring glory to the one who deserves it. The one who died and rose again and gave his life for you and I. And he, and he alone, deserves the glory. He alone deserves the worship. He alone deserves the praise. You know, I was thinking a little while ago, uh, as uh, Matthew finished singing, what a wonderful, beautiful job Matthew did. But the words of the song were a whole lot better than what his performance was. And I know his heart. And one of the reasons that Matthew doesn't do solo songs much, in fact, that's the first one I think I've seen you do here, except for maybe at Christmas or something, is because he doesn't want the glory. <laughs> he doesn't deserve it. Christ does. And so when we celebrate, when we clap, when we say amen, when we applaud, it ought to be for the glory of God for Jesus who died and rose again, and not for anything that man does. They, they, they couldn't even, they didn't even know how to punish Peter and John. Because what Peter and John had accomplished was bringing glory to God that could not be denied. So a question for you and I, are, are we walking in obedience in our lives in such a way that everyone outside wants to give glory to God? The people around us want to give glory to God. Pray that when you speak, when you share the gospel, when you live out your life before men, that you do so in such a way that God be glorified for it, that attention be drawn to him and not be drawn to yourself. Now, the message that Peter and John proclaimed was clear. It was a message of repentance, a message of commitment to Christ, Peter had just said in Acts chapter 2 uh, and then again in Acts chapter 3 that the only way that you can come to faith, that you can have eternal life, is through Jesus. By, by giving your, your life over to him, by surrendering to him as your Lord and being baptized to follow him. If, if you haven't taken that first step of obedience in following Christ, that step alone may seem radical to you. To step away from the life that you're living, walking in your own strength, in your own desires, and, you know, doing things as best you can. You're being the best mother that you can be. You're being the best father that you can be. You're working hard, and you're doing all the things that you know that a good person would do. And yet you know that all of the good things that you do aren't enough to enter into relationship with the living God. He is holy. And the scripture says that you have sinned against God. And in your sin, you are dead. Romans 3.23 reminds us that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. The gift of God in Romans 6.23 says that eternal life is found in Christ as a gift of God. If you have not taken that first step of obedience 
to submit your life and your heart before Christ. You don't even have a place to begin. So I plead with you that today when we give you a, a moment here to respond to the, to the gospel, to the good news, that you respond. Don't wait another day. Don't wait another moment. If you're going to follow Christ, you have to begin by confessing your sin and turning to him and saying, Lord, I want to follow you and I want to surrender my life to you. There's some that may be here that have done that privately. And Jesus says there's no secret disciples. In fact, he says very clearly that if you're unwilling to confess your sins before men, I'll be unwilling to confess you before my Father who's in heaven. <laughs> so if you're unwilling to publicly confess Christ as your Lord and Savior, uh, you've never even taken the first step. You, you have to do that first. So I would plead with you. The second step of obedience, once you have become the child of God, is you show that to the world through baptism. It's not a requirement of salvation, but it is a requirement of obedience. And, you know, I've met adults in the past who, who they know that they've put their faith in Christ. They're trusting in Christ alone for their eternal life. But their, their spiritual life just seems stunted. And, and they're just not going anywhere, and they're not growing. I met with a man on Friday night. We had burgers at his house. And uh, a, a really neat, neat guy. That, that that's where he was. And, and his spiritual growth, his spiritual life was just stunted. He wasn't the spiritual father he needed to be. He, he wasn't leading his wife the way he needed to. And he, he finally, in, in his mid-30s, submitted his life to baptism. And I'm telling you, it's one of those moments in, in ministry where, where when that man was coming back up out of the water, you could see on his face a transformation. He was changed. And he is walking with the Lord today. And, and, and what a joy that is. But, because, see, the bottom line is you can't take the first step of obedience. You can't take the second step until you take the first. And you can't take the third until you take the second. Okay? God is calling you. If you have not given your whole life over to him, submitted to him and following him as your Lord and Savior, he's calling you to that first. Take that step of obedience and then see where he leads you. But then there's some in the church. You've been a Christian for a long time. And God's called you to something different. He's called you to something new. Maybe you feel like he's called you to do something radical. And you've been saying no. I'd, I'd challenge you and I'd encourage you to some say yes. You don't need to talk to me about it. I'm not a priest. <laughs> you don't need to come talk to Kevin. You need to come talk to the Lord about it. <laughs> so if you need to come to the altar and lay that down at the Lord's feet and say, Lord, from this day forward, I'm going to be obedient to do what it is you've told me to do. The altar is going to be open for you to come. I want you to stand with me. Matthew's going to come and he's going to lead us in just this hymn of response. If you know the song, sing it. If you're burdened by the Spirit working in your life, humble yourself, close your eyes, bow your head and pray. If you need to come forward and make some public commitment to Christ, you come while this song plays.